0: Is it consent and autonomy for characters? Is it character development? Is it challenging the status quo in the story some kind of way? Is it fantasy, fantastical evolution of the greatness, or is it just
1: smut? That was Princess McDowell, writer and co-host of this podcast, summarizing some of what we think makes different types of erotic stories deserving of the feminist label. That conversation coming up. You are listening to the inaugural episode of Feminist Erotica, a podcast from Rebellious Magazine. I'm Jara Brown, a columnist for Rebellious, and I'm joined by Princess as well as Karen Hawkins, founder and rebel-in-chief of the magazine. We recorded this first episode while streaming live on Facebook. You can find our page at facebook.com feministerotica feminist This was the brainchild of Karen. So Karen, can you introduce yourself for anybody that doesn't know who you are and talk about where this idea came from?
2: When I think about this, for me, it's part of the pushing into conversations that I feel like no one is having in the way I want them to have them. Like, I feel like I inhabit this very special, like this this corner of the world, like feminist, lesbian, over 40 of color, all you know, with a white partner, all of these things, right? That I live at. And I feel like when I Google feminist erotica, for instance, like what comes up does not resonate with me. And I feel like I'm also in this place in my life where I've decided like if I don't see it, I'm just gonna make it. And I feel like the three of us have that in common that if we don't see something that we want to see in the world, we're just like okay, let's just do it. So I feel like for me personally really that's that's part of it. I feel like visibility is part of it and part of it is like why is no one doing this the way that I wish they were doing
1: it.
0: Yeah that's pretty much it um that's that's interesting um I think well, let me introduce myself since I haven't actually said words. Um, My name is Princess. I am a writer for Rebellious. Um, I write graphic novel stuff, and then whatever stuff Karen wants me to do, I usually try to do it. Erotica has been interesting to me um, because in the times in my life and in other parts, like, erotica has been what is easier for me to write, which makes sense. Um, when I was doing a lot of research of like about certain authors and kind of seeing how they got their start, when I started to learn that authors, a lot of times got their start writing erotica um, and kind of learning the basis of storytelling and character development by writing erotic stories, like Roxane Gay did that. And I was like, that's, I never would have thought that that would be the vehicle people would use to kind of sharpen their skills, but it's it's really um, prevalent. And then you know I have a book buying problem like most people, um, so I have like a couple of erotic uh, anthologies. And when I started to read them, like half the names are people that I knew. Like, did you know Nikki Giovanni wrote erotica? Yeah, that was a thing. I don't know that was like what, and then you know, in my own personal life, like, the times that I wasn't able to really write, the thing that I wanted to write or that came out was erotic stories. Partners that I've had who don't consider themselves writers, when they write, it's erotic pieces. Um, So I think that that's a really interesting crossover that happens that we don't really talk about or explore a lot, that uh, women, queer women specifically, uh, lean into that kind of writing when they're just allowing whatever to come out of their bodies come out and it just happens that you know it's like a love story and then all of a sudden someone's doing it so like (laughs) when the podcast got pitched or when we were first talking about you know feminist erotica and what it could look like I mean just from that alone from the personal stories that I have of people who are writing stuff that let me know that there's a big space open for us to kind of have these conversations and give people a platform to really talk about the way that erotic writing feminist erotica specifically impacts their lives you know changes the way that they write changes relationships dynamics and stuff so there's a lot of different avenues that we can explore so i was like let's get into it
1: that's fascinating and i want to know what those anthologies are
0: <laughs> oh yeah 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 there are you know i always go for the black ones so it's like best black erotica whatever like super super drill down one. I don't know. I used to work at a bookstore and I stole a lot of books. So those are the ones that I mostly took home. It's like nice. best black lesbian erotic fiction 17. Yeah. Featuring Zane cuz
2: <laughs> because Zane, cuz Zane, yeah. Because that's Zane. A whole, that's a whole sentence right there. Yes.
1: So I thought about writing erotica a while back just for money. And um, mm. I feel like a lot of things I do are just for money, but I gravitate to things that don't have a lot of money anyway (laughs) and just think it's gonna work. And I ended up not doing much with it until I started um, doing sex work and then was commissioned to do different erotic pieces for people and realized like, oh, well, I already have this, these stories. Can I do anything else with them? And went down the rabbit hole of like fetishes and I'm particularly interested in, in erotica because it, it's, or in talking about it in this way, because it it's so, so much of it is still taboo and or it's just hard to find. Like you can find anything on Amazon, but like you might not, it might not be the quality that you want it to be because it's it's hard to make a living off of it. And it's hard to get editors to to edit the stuff and I feel like it's pigeonholed because of the word. And I found out when I started to write it that like you can basically go down this adult black hole and it's harder for your stuff to be found. Um, Like there is no category for erotica like that on Amazon. You can categorize your work when you're uploading it. But then when you do that, it's harder to find in the search results. And then you're also dealing with Amazon because it's the only place where people can like find things, you know, which is frustrating. So I think I'm, I'm interested in it. Like, I guess from, from my position of starting to do this stuff as connected to my sex work. And then also like as a writer who just tends to write about stuff related to bodies, stuff sometimes gets it's almost like erotica becomes the label when people don't know how else to deal with it. And yeah. I like, I wanna celebrate it, but also question the label at the same time.
0: Like almost taking it and, and reclaiming it and, yeah. and renaming it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So some of the ideas we had, we're talking about what erotica is and then also what makes erotica feminist erotica. Do we wanna jump and run with either of those? So I was thinking about this a lot, but what
2: makes erotica feminist for me when I was thinking about it is so much of it is about context and about Mm -hmm. who the author is, right? I feel like I could read the same thing or watch the same thing from two different people. And depending on whether or not I perceive the author or the filmmaker or whatever as feminist, that informs my perception of it and how I read it. And so for me, I think it's so much about who the creator is and also the context. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like that is a narrow enough like container for it that makes sense to me because I feel like otherwise you just start talking about like acts or something, (laughs) you know what I mean? It starts to get this weird, like, well, this is feminist but this isn't. So those things for me kind of start to make
1: them make sense. So Let's talk, like if you, who is it? One of those things where it needs to be like an own voices thing. Say more about that. When you're talking about who's writing it, are you ta- actually no? You say more. Well, okay. what- <laughs> well like, I right, think like, this... <laughs> so, you say more. So,
2: like, I there's this author. I I'm not gonna say who she is, but I follow her and I have read a number of her books and like I appreciate her efforts so much.
1: But like you said, the qu- I mean.
2: I appreciate her efforts. That's all I'm gonna say. And I feel like if I read some of her work by, say, a white man or a white gay man, like it's a black lesbian author who writes black lesbian erotica work. Yeah, and I yeah. Feel like if I read those stories by someone else, it'd be like, you know, tossing across her and flipping the desk. But I feel like because it's her, I understand where she's coming from and I consider that feminist because she's telling her own story. Maybe that's what you mean. Like she is telling stories from this perspective about this community.
1: Yeah, the there's a hashtag own voices, O-W-N voices that- not Oprah. Not Oprah. Uh, that uh, writers and publishers are using just basically to be able to tell your own voice or tell mm-hmm. your own story. And Karen, we've had conversations about how this makes like journalism difficult, but prioritizing people who are talking about their lived experience. Mm-hmm. so in terms of like we had talked about creating a litmus test of what makes erotic a feminist in 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 terms of like what do we want to celebrate and promote on this podcast but it also sounds like that that gets more it's hard to create this without policing it yeah
0: yeah yeah so when i was looking up so we, we talked a little bit about kind of creating the framework of what makes erotica feminist. Uh, booing off of like Bethel test type stuff right Mm -hmm. so like what would you need to read or understand in the piece to make it fiction or I'm sorry make it erotica one of the things that I feel like should be top of the list or close to the top is the idea of the female characters establishing consent or like having autonomy about their body and like the relationship that's in the story right so Just making sure that everyone who everyone who is involved in the work kind of like that enthusiastic enthusiastic consent like translates to the piece like is that a thing that happens check one. And I think that's pretty baseline if we want to make sure that it's feminist to make sure everybody's like okay with what's happening. We're not perpetuating any like red culture things, you know, we're not diving into any of those areas. So I feel like that's probably part one to check. Part two in reading is a kind of along the same line, like maturing along that same line, but character development, right? So what happens a lot of time is you have these stories where a woman is only there to please the dude or whatever. Like she has no real say in what happens. So, or we don't know anything about her. She's just a vehicle for male pleasure. Um, So I think character development is important. in making sure that it's it's equal and equitable, everything inside of the story. Um, and that it's a whole person and not just like a fragmented uh, objectification of the nebulous form of a woman. In fact, those are probably two things uh, consent and autonomy is established. Uh, the person is a person and not just like 2D whatever. And then I think some of that falls into like power dynamics too. Mm. Cuz what I'm what I've been picturing is like all right, so <laughs> without making it too like specific of what I would co- not necessarily consider feminist but like what I would see thinking outside of myself as a black queer woman who doesn't do men by and large. Outside of that, what would it look like as like a woman taking charge? in the situation and establishing as like dominance, but also there has to be space for the flip of that. Cause like not every woman wants to be dominant, right? So maybe it's like established power dynamics with like the communication and um, outline or whatever. Like, I don't, I, I wouldn't want to read write a piece that's like, okay, so, um you know, Dan and Marsha are together, and they're gonna have this conversation to make sure that you know we have all of the you know, loops <laughs> and things. And what are you open to today? And like, <laughs> I feel like that's what people who hate feminists think feminist erotica is like. It's like Just a whole exactly. lot of conversation first.
2: Oh my god! Or and along the way, but every step of the way, are you okay with this? Do I yes? Okay, great. is, it, about, is it Okay. Are you how about wa-
0: now? Do you want? Do you need more? Do you need some water? <laughs> <Do> you, like, <laughs> So like, I mean, not overkill, but definitely establishing like conversation or context. Um, like you said before, like I think context is really large in that and it doesn't have to be like the communication dialogue, but just establishing that these people like know each other and somewhat like each other and like buy into this experience um, is probably part of that. But my question for you guys is like, so how much does, um, kink, how much does kink play into feminist erotica? And then like, how much does I hate the words, uh, how much does like diversity and inclusion play into making erotica feminist? Like, is that important? Does it have to have a black or queer in it? or is it just, you know, what does that look like?
1: do you meet the quota
2: <laughs> basically oh no oh
0: no you have all your bases covered
1: Karen do you have thoughts so I was gonna let you oh see I was gonna let you take that one I'm, okay I know right all right I will answer
2: the second part of that question I'm looking at my phone because I'm trying to find this last collection I oh okay strips down lesbian sex stories I don't know when this came out but one of the things I love about it, it's an anthology, it's edited by Tristan Termino. One yeah. of the things I love about it is like every, like you're talking about diversity and inclusion, not in a like, we're gonna hit you over the head way, but in yeah. this like wonderful fluid, like it reads to me like you're at a pride parade or you're at mm-hmm. a lesbian party or you're, you know what I mean? It's just like, these are all of the people you're gonna happen upon and experiences you're gonna hear people describing. It doesn't feel forced to me yeah. It is incredibly diverse, it's incredibly inclusive, It's really gives you this window into all of these different parts of the community, but it doesn't feel like, yeah, like, oh, we, we better check that
1: box kind of shit. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels very natural. I, well, okay, for starters, um, not all stories have to be all things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, that's useful. That there, this is a collection. It's sort, of, it's sort of like the, the feminist idea of the table, and you need to make room at the table for everybody. Um, but I'm wondering about like, and hell no, they don't all have to be kinky. Like, yeah. is a part of sex positivity. But Carol Queen has this awesome definition of sex positivity that is super inclusive um that leaves room for like asexuality and folks that aren't actively sexual beings i think that something that's feminist the idea of inclusion is that we we don't police what it means to other people as long as it's not harming other people but i'm wondering if like if it needs to challenge the status quo in some way in order to be feminist you know like somebody in an established power dynamic where the cis male is the dominant and the cis female is the submissive like there's a lot of talk in the king community about whether that's not only is that okay but is it is it like useful in like challenging the patriarchy and I think the one way in that it's useful is that it's consensual and every part of it has like there's like somebody doesn't just give up their, their power to be submissive. It actually takes a lot of like new ways of saying yes and no that one might not know that they possessed. It's like an active submission as opposed to a passive submission that we're taught that we need to do. But if that's not there, like I've read erotic stories where it just feels like this is what I'm supposed to do. And then it doesn't feel good anymore because it it just feels like my childhood or something. (laughs) Well, it makes me
2: think of like, what are those books called? Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. Like, I feel like that, unfortunately, is the only entree a lot of people have had to exploring erotica. It makes me really sad because I feel like, on the one hand, it's wonderful that you're normalizing these Like, you're normalizing all of these things, but, like, in kind of the, like, worst way. So, yeah, I feel like part of this, part of what I'm excited about this project is, like, yeah, normalizing these conversations and giving people a language to talk about them, and hopefully you, like, apply it to your own life. It's not just about erotica, but it becomes about your own sexuality and your own exploration of that.
1: How do we narrow that down? So, like... (laughs) How many seasons... This podcast is going to be
2: 90 seasons long. Right.
1: (laughs) I'm okay
0: with this. Um. I really like the idea that in some way in the story, you have to challenge status quo, whatever that looks like. Like, you know, whether it's the pairing, whether it's the communication, whether it's the ending, like somewhere you kind of have to push back against uh, normality there. Like, I I really like that as a, you know, as a call out
2: what are we calling our i mean i love the bechdel test like what are we what are we calling this is it the zane test is it the like just i'm just putting that out there
0: was zane good at doing it
2: can we classify
0: Zane's stuff as erotic feminism? i feel like that answers a no <laughs> that's
1: a, okay that's a big no um that's a big no so for people that are listening in like one of the things we've been talking about is what we want to promote on this podcast, and like using this as a, a filter for things that we feel good about promoting, and, you know, not everything. Might meet all the checklists. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like okay, you get a pass if you have seventy-five percent of the check boxes. Does that feel true? Because, I think part of it is that like we evolve in our feminist journey is that fair like that it might it just might not i'm stumbling here (laughs) (laughs) it seems fair because i feel like
2: there's also this thing that happens especially if you're like not none of us are were, not none of us but a lot of us weren't raised to like be in touch with our sexuality know anything about it we all had we're all self-taught we're all learning all the time and i feel like there's what you think you should be turned on by and then there's mm-hmm. what you actually are and so i feel like yeah that you you get you get a pass if you're like i understand that this is problematic but here's why like i feel like we get to make a case for it as we go like th- exactly. let me just put out there this is problematic but let me tell you why i feel like we should let it in
1: <laughs> now that would be fun like if if, if you if you're Writing does not meet this list. You have to like propose why it still matters or why it's still feminist. Um, I'm trying to look up a writer whose work. Um, they 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 put together this uh, the set of um, stories, erotic stories, and some of them are older. And they're like, look, there's not enthusiastic consent in all these stories, because this is kink, and you know, like sometimes like you things happened and the people were obviously into it, but there wasn't this like level of, do you want me to do this? Um, And I really want to talk to the author um, about like that journey. And, but the author was saying in the introduction, like 10 years has passed. And I've learned a lot about consent, but I still think these stories are sexy. You know, and I can like, I have this issue. I talk about this a lot with friends. Like when I'm like hooking up on Tinder, like I don't, Sometimes I'm just okay with, we do A, B, and C because that's what we're taught because then I don't have to think about it. <laughs> um, yeah. And then sometimes I'm just like, hell no, we're going to sit down and we're going to negotiate. <laughs> and it depends on my mood and my energy levels. <laughs> I mean, I think the choice is the most important
0: part though, right?
1: Totally.
0: Like, you know, sometimes you, sometimes you, are okay with the default uh, because of the familiarity in it. But then there are the times when you're like, no, I want to, you know, let's try something new. Let's, let's push a boundary. Let's explore another space outside of that. And I think, you know, the balance is what's important there um, because if we were just, no, let's make sure here I have this spreadsheet. And if you could sign here, here, initial here, right (laughs) before we get started like
2: you know doc you sign that and get it
0: back to me yeah you can just scan that right in um (laughs) like sometimes that's what you know is needed sometimes people are comfortable with that uh sometimes we just want to do it like the way we do it and you know i think the choice is the is the feminist part in that is being able to say like Today, that's cool. Tomorrow,
1: no, sir. Yeah. (laughs)
0: right. Not at all.
1: And there are hard limits. Like if there's no consent, um, Mm -hmm. then it's obviously not feminist. Or if it's with somebody that can't consent.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: What else? So another thing that comes to mind for me is body politics. I totally want to talk about covers at some point, the covers of books. And yeah. I don't even know how to get started because I know it's just about what people want to buy um, and the money aspect of it. But I, I mean, I struggle with that when I, when I'm looking at, when I, when I'm looking at what I want to read, I want to see words like curvy and soft, you know, (laughs) and there's, and even when the, the like femme characters are curvy and soft, like if there's a cis male, they almost always have a six pack, you know, it's, and I yeah. I don't feel like that's confronted as much about like what that does to to men um, to have to live up to these ideals.
0: Yeah. I, one of the things that's interesting um, that's always been funny to me, it's the, it's the joke about Nicholas Sparks books um, is <laughs> uh, all the people used to come into the store and they'd be like, do you have this blue book that they made into a movie And you're like, so Nicholas Sparks, because all the Nicholas Sparks books, or it's like um, White People Almost Kissing, that's every cover of Nicholas Sparks books. So uh, I feel like, you know, especially in the publishing industry, as with most industries, um, they fear moving outside of the status quo because, you know, of the way that it's always done and what they've always made money from and X, Y, and Z. Um, so that's definitely perpetuated in the romance and erotic um, genres just from what the covers look like. Even the really like romanticized medieval on a horse with like the woman and then like the dude and there's like everything. Um, yeah, it's like mad unrealistic, incredibly damaging to to men. Um, and I think people who, uh, you know, have different relationships with their own body, uh, to have to always see that, you know, the way that that looks. And even as publishers or or writers uh, have pushed to just put black people on the cover, Mm -hmm. um, if the book is about black people, um, my hope is that we would get to a point where we could you know move away from those kind of tropey things but i think it's still stuck inside of the industry thinking that that's what sells mm-hmm. um i remember looking to so like the harlequin romance books um there's a few specifically black imprints i forget what they're called um But even those covers were still- Ebony or
2: mahogany or- (laughs) I feel like there's like a (laughs) couple words they use and they just slap and they're
0: like- That just mean black. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Chocolate, chocolate (laughs) fantasies, all of those things.
2: (laughs) Wow. Listen,
0: (laughs) caramel confessions, I could go on. Um, But even those covers, you know, First of all, nine times out of ten, they're not shown on shelves because they just smash them together. So you can only see the spine. Um, but those covers of them, you know, of uh, like those covers of how they are. I feel like those covers don't even have them like two people on the front. Like it's usually a woman in like a door frame <laughs> and then like a landscape or whatever. So there's even like in a romance book that someone is buying for that specific you know, experience, not getting to see that on a cover um, at
2: all because people think it won't sell, you know? And I um, just realized, it's funny that I thought of it, Princess, when you were doing the <laughs> that whole thing, um, which I can't believe that it hasn't occurred to me to mention before. So I don't own KarenHawkins.com because Karen Hawkins is a white romance novelist mm. and she bought it in like that domain in like 1997. Mm-hmm. And her bo- I've never read any of her books, but they're all like the bride wore plaid, the Scottish night, nu- like, like they're wild. And I feel like I have, I have an email address and I get sometimes get fan mail for her, which I enjoy very much. Um,
0: can we please talk to her? yeah
2: <laughs> I gotta, oh no oh. can we please talk to her is it a real person though or is it just a name is karen has karen hawkins just become like a name
0: even better even better <laughs> because that is a huge thing in like erotica romance is people using pseudonyms and stuff so if we find out that karen hawkins is a pseudonym come on yeah.
2: I, like uh, there's a first of all you'd of be was- pissed <laughs> oh, I would be livid because be like, just give it to me. So like, there is a woman whose picture, they put it in the back of these books, but you're right. They not only use those, these pseudonyms, but like different writers rotate in and write under that name. It's like the Dread mm-hmm. Pirate Roberts. Like, it's just all these different people using that name. And that woman's probably like retired somewhere and stopped writing a lot after. I'll reach out
1: to her, yeah. I'm on it. Is there a point to this? I don't feel like that was the point, right? Why did you the say point that? was,
2: I just want to name that if you're watching this and you're like, Karen Hawkins is here talking about erotica and she hasn't even mentioned her books, that's not me.
1: Right,
2: okay. Wrong yeah. Karen Hawkins. Not me. That yeah. was my point. That was really the point. <laughs> not
1: that Karen Hawkins.
0: Karen yeah. Hawkins coming soon <laughs> to a Karen Hawkins podcast near you. That's yeah. not true. <laughs>
1: Uh, I'm going to ramble here a minute because I, I realize that I haven't been thinking I've been thinking in the mindset of a of a, a reader and I haven't been thinking about my own experiences in writing erotica because of my pseudonym that I'm not going to name um, but a lot of the things that I get requested to write about are um, the reason I get requested to write about is because they're hard to find because they're sketchy um, they're like specific fan fetishes that people are embarrassed by and specifically the ones that I that I write about there's sketchy consent involved sometimes <laughs> um, but it's also what the the people get off on and I I've been thinking a lot about this about like I also do phone sex and when you do phone sex you you don't just go, you you can't do the whole consent talk. So I rely on like the intonation and in people's voices to tell me that they're still into it because I do things as a, as a dominant person. And there's also this idea that erotica is the place where, or these fantasies are a place where people can go to explore things that can't happen in real life when they don't have other outlets and that to me that like complicates what it the the feminist aspect of it simply because like if you want to be beaten up and then fucked you might not want to do that in person but the idea of reading about it is something it gives you an outlet to explore why this interests you you know I don't have anywhere to go with that I just wanted to talk about it (laughs) because I I felt like I don't want to just like be betraying the people that like support me um, and trust me to, to hold their, their desires with respect. So,
2: I think it's a really important perspective. And I think it's part of, we all just kind of, I mean, we're all unit, united by a rebellious and princess, of course, I know you forever, but I feel like it's one of the things that makes it interesting that the three of us are doing this. We do all bring different things to it. And I feel like that's, That is a perspective, find me a podcast that has this cast (laughs) of characters talking about this issue. You you find it for me.
0: So I I, I think that's really interesting, the idea of like fantasy or as as Erotica, being a space to live out or play out or experience fantasies that would be taboo or dangerous or just not like you're not ready to experience those things in reality yet. So you need a place to go to experience those things. And I'm wondering, like my question to that would be, so is that, I mean, I think that's good enough to add to the test, right? Like if there's a fantastical aspect to it because that's a part of erotica, you know, as the makeup is like the fantasy aspect of it. So is there in in the relationship of you know, power and consent and autonomy and establishing like boundaries or whatever as you get into this space. Do you also does it does it also necessitate moving into like a fantasy that is unapproachable in reality? Like is like how necessary is that to
1: classify it as feminist? Mm. So basically if it, if it's going to challenge any sort of feminist ideal, does it do it in a way that's fantastical?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Cause that's the thing. Like there's a lot of healing that can be found in challenges. So I'm going to bring up a one that I, a lot of people have issues with, which is sissification, this idea of making men into sissies. And a lot of people don't like it because can be looked at as a way of like making women lesser than. But for a lot of the men that are interested in it, it's their first way of exploring their feminine side in a way like forced, forced feminization. And to me personally, it's an avenue that allows them to accept parts of themselves that they haven't been able to accept that eventually stops being shameful. I know some people that have even figured out that they want to Go through some sort of transition because of it you know and but if you were just going to have the conversation are you trans or are you actually a woman or non-binary or something it's just too much you know you're not ready for it so this fantastical avenue like allows you to approach things sideways or are you actually just a woman vampire
0: (laughs) (laughs) i think that's about important i think that's incredibly important in like to move it out of just like the regular box of erotica to say like no it's it's specifically feminist because there's so much more control and like empower and, and but space to be able to like explore these different avenues that lead to another space of healing mm. yeah so, like like yeah you know the context happens the development happens sex happens but then the resolution at the end of that looks more like <laughs> looks more like healing and understanding and like growth and evolution instead of just dirty sheets or something
1: like getting off to get off
0: yeah so i found this uh quote that i wrote down from this blog i was reading about this woman wrote uh, Lulu Goodchild is the blog name. In talking about feminist erotica and like women wanting to read erotica, she says, uh, We don't read it to get off. We read it to get in the mood to get off, mm. which I thought was like <laughs> absolutely that, right? It's almost to, I want to be in the mood for that later. So let me read. However much I need to read until I get to that spot, so then I can put it down and
2: <laughs> put it down.
0: <laughs> oh my God, here we go. Yep, there we are.
2: You know, I mean, it also raises this question, I feel like, and I would love to know if this is true or not, that this notion that like women are more likely to read erotica than they are to watch porn, for instance, and right. that men are like not reading erotica at all, which I don't think is true. And I, I have wondered about that when Rebellious first launched. We did a sex toy party at Early to Bed and it was so much fun. Great. And I feel like more of us bought books because that's who we are than like other anything else in the store. And I, I, would it'd be interesting to talk to somebody about whether or not that's true, that we are more likely to read than to watch. Here's a question. Do men write erotic fan fiction? I don't know.
0: Because I feel like if they do, then maybe they do read or if they like a little bit, maybe not as much as women, but like a quarter of the writers who write like fanfic from a specific world. Like you can't tell me that there's not a dude that hasn't written a princess Leia erotica, something out in the world. I think once
1: we have bigger following, these would be amazing polls to conduct.
0: (laughs) How often have you written yourself into a story? Yeah. Having sex with, (laughs) storm like jubilee
1: my favorite x-man you know i so when i when i started doing the the phone sex stuff and it's such a weird word like because i i struggle with the word sex period i have a lot of people that get off on these calls that are not getting off on the idea of penetrative sex but they're they're getting they're calling because they get off on very different ideas but i found that when i would write an erotic story and this is a very limited um group of people but they would rather hear me say the story mm. than they read it because yeah. it's the personal connection of the the voice i think you know but it's also mostly men that call from what i understand either like men or women on the that are on the other end and i don't know how much of that is shame like would more women call if it was less shameful but i had this idea when we were talking about things, have you two read Pleasure Activism? No,
2: not yet. Not yet.
1: I know it's on my list. <laughs> it's the growing so list. Yeah. So, uh, Adrian has a list of pleasure principles mm. in the book, which are pretty amazing. I recommend them. But this is just Adrian's two paragraph idea of what pleasure activism is, and I think it applies. Pleasure activism is the work we do to reclaim our whole, happy, and satisfiable selves from the impacts, delusions, and limitations of oppression and/or supremacy. Pleasure activism asserts that we all need and deserve pleasure, and that our social structures must reflect this. In this moment, we must prioritize the pleasure of those most impacted by oppression. And how do you how do you prioritize the pleasure? of those most impacted by oppression in a better way than prioritizing the things that celebrate those desires. That was heavy. <laughs> <laughs> it's really but I mean, I feel like it helps to be thoughtful about that. I mean, I
2: feel like that that's part of the magic of having a podcast where you're talking about something like this, where you're being really thoughtful about these things. Cause I feel like people will have different access points. And I feel like for a lot of people that will click in a way that some of the other things we've said haven't.
1: And I don't, I don't think it's just about sexuality, orientation, yeah. gender, even race. It's also about um, chronic pain. And I want to read erotic stories that, about chronic pain and sex that are in some way, both like respectful of that condition and also have joyous moments I think there's a lot of people's identities that they don't see represented, their desires, they don't see their desires represented.
2: Yeah, you're reminding me, um, it's Wild and Sublime now, yes. The name of Carrie Nates' show. It's Wild and Sublime, not,
1: yeah,
2: Yeah. (laughs) yes, yes. Um, But she had a disability activist on talking about like the different tools that she uses and the different like toys and the different modifications she does. And it was that for me was like a, oh, of course, moment. So yes, things like that. Like that collection I talked about that like I thought that I think of as being really diverse, that perspective was not in it. Right, right. Yeah, you're right. I feel like there are so many people who are left
1: out in this conversation. It's past six o'clock, any other thoughts?
2: You were talking about people want the connection of the voice part of this, this will not always, these episodes will not always be the three of us riffing. And we also plan to have segments where folks are reading from different works, which we are really excited about, and we have a structure that we're, we're looking at working towards.
1: Princess, what are people's calls to action?
2: Yeah, so if you have any story ideas
0: or things that you want us to talk about on the podcast, please uh, reach out to us. Um, We're also going to be really trying to hone down and drill down on figuring out what makes erotica feminist. Uh, So we talked a little bit about it today, but we'll have some questions of things that, you know, what do you guys think? What do you guys think makes erotic uh, fiction? I don't want to say fiction. Feminist. What makes erotica feminist? Um, We want to hear your thoughts about that. We'll be asking questions through the rebellious socials. We'll be talking about, is it consent and autonomy for characters? Is it character development? Is it challenging the status quo in the story some kind of way? Is it fantasy, fantastical evolution of the greatness? Or is it just smut? Feminist Erotica is a podcast from Rebellious Magazine for Women, hosted by Jarrah Brown, Princess McDowell, and Karen Hawkins. If you have an idea for a future episode or want to share your thoughts, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at feministerotica at magazine.com. Follow us on Instagram at Feminist Erotica Podcast, on Facebook at Feminist Erotica, and on Twitter at Feminist Erotic. And make sure you subscribe to us wherever you devour podcasts.